<laughs> yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> it was a good show. We treated you half as half as good as you treated me when I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm. I'm that was that was more than you deserve that's for I'm damn touched sure. for sure yeah <laughs> love that dream theater shirt dread oh thank Ooh, you yeah, yeah yeah is that from train of thought uh no this one's just a kind of a generic dream theater shirt <clears throat> it's it's not uh it doesn't have any oh. of the album okay. it's not a concert t-shirt or uh just has a dream theater with some designs on the back and stuff oh, too yeah, man. <clears throat> Gotta have something dream theater, you know. In fact, yeah. uh, this is my only one that I have left, so I've I've worn my other ones out. So I need to get a new one. Yeah, I uh, the the one we went on uh, six degrees of inner turbulence that tour that that wore out fast. And yeah, I I don't have any others. But like, <laughs> yeah, I wore that my... shirt to death. <clears throat> Speaking of, did I tell you how much um, Mike Mangini was charging for um, like drum lessons online? Oh my God, Mangini! Oh, for a half an hour, half hour, hundred bucks. Yeah, <clears throat> hundred bucks for twenty minute for a thirty minute. Yeah, wow. Mike well, Man. you know, <clears throat> that guy can he can he can get away with it. Yeah, I was like, well, we're probably not going to yeah. get him on. So, <laughs> yeah. but Jeremy Wagner's been show been broad blasting our stuff on his social media, which is great. That was a great interview. On Instagram. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he's, he's he loved it. He's connected to Gary Holt and Eric Peterson. They're both like they all follow oh, each other. Oh, dude, really? I know. I know. <laughs> Believe me, Eric I'm Peterson. Gonna, hello. I know. I know. Believe me. When we when we get together for the behind the line or between the lines <laughs> podcast, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask him about the immigration thing. Peterson. We might want to tell Peterson. Justin Biggs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, he might want to come on for that. Oh, yeah. You're cool right there. Look at that. For now. For now, it might, <laughs> yeah. it might start cutting out, man. Okay. Anyway, yeah. yeah. We'll work with you. No problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're, we're happy to work around you. We wish you were there. We could uh, help you smoke some of that stuff. <laughs> I need this after that. I was like running around. I was like, do I have no Wi-Fi signal? Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But anyways, if you guys want to get started, is there anything we yeah. you guys do? Yeah, let's do it, man. Got a cheesy Thanks. little right. intro that we do. So yeah, we got a great intro. At. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hi, this is Mark Brady from Jag Panzer. You are watching and listening to Heavy Metal Horror. And I just repeated the exact bumper I was told to you. So give me an F for originality on this one. But definitely watch this. Very entertaining. I'm Montag, master of illusion. What goes up must come down, but not always. Hey, this is Chop Top, and this one's going to be haunting. <laughs> and Dreadbow. And you are watching and listening to Heavy, Heavy Metal, metal. Horror. Kitties, we have got a show tonight. Ah, oh, I would like to welcome Trevor William Church of Haunt and Beastmaker at Owl. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, it is an honor to meet you. And uh, boy, we are excited. You're excited to get to know you, man. Right on. Cool. All Let's right. Talk. Let's, Let's talk. talk. 
All right. Well, hey, let's start with the big picture questions. Like, how did you first get into music? I was basically boarded to music. My dad was the bass player of Van Morrison, um, Montrose, and Sammy Hagar band. So I, I honestly can't remember a time in my life where <laughs> music hasn't been involved some shape or form. I didn't really start getting into it until I was like, like playing instruments. I didn't really get into it until I was like about 10. And even then it was just kind of like for fun. I, I like to mess around. I, I, my, I had different aspirations at the time. Um, and then through high school, I was like way more into skateboarding than I was in music, but I was always going to shows and always involved in music played, you know, so, and I was, was always in the guitar class and high school and music classes and stuff. So it was always kind of like one of those things I did, but I didn't seem to really like start taking it seriously until high school. I started my first punk band. We we're called Lot Six. We we're terrible, but we mainly played like Operation Ivy and Rancid. Uh, and, and like we would do some obscure uh, cover songs. Sometimes we would cover like Rudimentary Penny and Subhumans, which kind of didn't fit with what we were doing, but we still fucked around. Um, and then I went on, you know, my first bands were all punk bands and, um, it wasn't until I started realizing at one point in high school that I kind of sounded like Ozzy. Um, I was, I was like, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, I had a, my dad gave me a hand-me-down 78 Mazda RX-7 and it was only a two-seater and it was a stick shift and, I, I did learn how to drive stick when I was really young. My dad taught me how to drive stick shift, but I always was frightened of being on a hill. And it just so <laughs> happens the high school I went to, like to get to the parking lot, it was like down, it was down a hill. So when you went out, you're up and it scared the shit out of me. Cause I was like, I'm going to fucking hit somebody. So I went there on like a Saturday or, you know, a day it was, the school was closed and I put in, I just put black Sabbath, the tape it was on you know cassette back then so i threw on the cassette and i just practiced i must have burned out like a hundred times just because <laughs> it just you know i just couldn't there's you know when your parents teach you stick shift or your parent my dad taught me how to drive but um you know like you you learn on flat ground mm -hmm. you know you don't unless you live in a place like san francisco or la you're not exposed to these like mass, you're like, like uphill, but just so happened my high school was like that. So it was kind of like, fuck, I had to tread some water. I didn't really know, but that, that day of just like practicing, cause you know, now I don't have dad with me fucking, you know, what are you doing son? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> typical dad shit, learning to drive. Awesome. Great, great like great experience. Um, but I just put NIB on repeat and I was just singing it <laughs> over and over and over. And I was like, man, I kind of have this Aussie thing. This is like different because before I, I couldn't really like the bands that I really liked a lot, like singing like them was like an impossibility, i.e. James Hetfield, Dave Mustaine, who were like the two big heroes in my life in, in, the, in that era of music. Ozzy was always high up there. I, I, remember, I remember the first time I heard his voice. I, I have crazy. 
first time I heard Crazy Train, I was hooked immediately. I had had to go get Blizzard of Oz. My dad hates Ozzy for some reason. He was like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm buying you this shit right now. He let me buy anything, anything. But when I got my first Black Sabbath and Ozzy cassettes, he was like, oh, God. Like, he <laughs> bought any record for me. You know, he's, I mean, like, when I was, I was like the only seven-year-old or six-year-old on the planet that I knew of that had, that listened to Slayer. Like, I felt like I was already an outcast in school the second I stepped foot into <laughs> anywhere anybody talked about music. Everybody's listening to New Kids on the Block, and here I am wearing a Metallica <laughs> shirt, feeling like a complete, like, I'm like, I don't know. I just come from this different musical background. But anyway, that is basically that car, that Mazda RX-7 trip, the listening to Ozzy, that kind of like let me know like, hey, you could actually sing. And so I started singing a lot more. I didn't really want to be a singer in a band. I always sang punk rock stuff. So it was a lot easier because it's more shouting and yelling than anything. And, you know, now like, you know, I, I have to give a lot of my my musical, um, um, my the education part, I got to give a big shout out to the Beatles because there is a point I bought the Beatles complete <clears throat> anthology book and I learned almost every song because it had all the lyric notation, had all the lyrics, had everything in it. So I could sit there and play and sing. And like, that was like groundbreaking for me because like now I'm doing this, you know, I'm like, starting to learn how to be a, a singer as well as a guitar player at the same time. And most people use, most people know already that's a hard thing to do. It's not like, it's not just playing guitar. Now you're talking about singing and it's like, Oh, you got to use two, two like parts of your brain at the same time that use the same part of the brain. So it's like one of them's on autopilot. The other one you're like, okay. And that's, it, it's really interesting. And that's how I got my start really. And, doing that kind of stuff. I always play guitar. I had, I've had a drum set most of my life. So I've, I, I always kind of mess with drums. I didn't get serious into drums actually until way later. I was probably, I was in my like late twenties when I really was like, I'm going to learn to play the drums a little bit better. Cause I always had a drum set, always could keep a beat. Cause I knew to learn a song, I'd have to be able to lay down some mediocre bullshit because <laughs> at, back then I didn't really know how to use, uh, I didn't have GarageBand or Logic Pro or anything that you use nowadays to capture your sound. So it was just like a microphone in the room and me playing really shitty. And then I was like, I started diving into it more and diving in more into recording to where drums really started to take on its own essence for me. And like, I was like, all right, well, I really like the drums. I have fun. And um, that it, it's just from there on, you know, it goes to playing bass and bar bands to me being like, all right, well, I'm a good enough bass player because a lot of people wouldn't feel confident enough of playing all the instruments on their record. Let's just face it. That's kind of like a it's a weird thing to do. And it always sounds weird to me because I'm like, yes, yeah, it's like just stacked together. It never really has had like that, like. You know, that's why I kind of always liked lo-fi a little bit more. I always, I consider, I consider haunt actually like garage metal, I would call it, because it's like, I literally play out of my garage. My shit's lo-fi, like a garage, like everything. I, I'm in the garage right now. Like, <laughs> like yeah. this, so I've always, and it, it's kind of, and then the DIY thing too, it's all garage kept. And I was thinking about that a lot lately because of the new wave of traditional heavy metal movement where, 
I feel like sometimes haunt, like we kind of weave in and weave out of it. Whereas Beastmaker was really doom metal. You could really like pigeonhole uh, Beastmaker into doom. It's like, that's what it was. But I feel like haunt is kind of like, it's, it has some thrashy <laughs> elements. It has some old school classic rock elements. It kind of has a lot of stuff. And um, sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't, I never loved being pigeonholed with doom metal. Obviously, Beastmaker has had its like shaky ground with me. And I don't really, you know, I don't play live for it anymore. I still fuck around and record some shit here and there. But um, yeah, it's hard to be like, all right, this is what you do. But at the same time, be grateful that you like for Haunt that this new wave of traditional heavy, heavy metal thing was starting up. But I think I, I always have been like kind of on a separate hill than everybody else because of the kind of like solo project aspect to garage aspect to just like everything. It's just done entirely differently than what most people are doing. I mean, let's again, let's face it. Most bands are not one guy doing everything and kind of having a live band. It's a kind of different scenario that I have, which makes I think it makes Han a little bit more unique that way at the end of the day. Cause it's like, uh, it, it was an unusual discovery. It was, it was basically grown on the backs of my failures of being in bands and working with people in bands. It was, I never found collaborating a simple task. It was always complicated because I only was in a couple bands where the collaboration really worked between singer and songwriter. I was songwriter, usually had a singer. It wasn't until I had so many fucking failures to where I was just like, all right, I'm going to just be the main songwriter that comes in Beastmaker, right? Like I did some other bands before that, but the main ones that anybody knows of me and my musical background is going to be Beastmaker and Haunt. And like when Haunt came, I just like knew, I was like, you know, I'm just going to write a shitload of music because I'm just tired of playing this like charade of like, all right, you get to do an album once a year, whatever the record label terms were. I was like, I don't want anything to do with that because it doesn't really go with my nature of just uh, just constantly like, I'm like, I want to write as many songs I want to write. I don't want to fucking have this specific thing that I have to do. I've always break, I always love to break rules or bend the rules or not be a part of the rules. It's just like, who I am and a lot of people that actually know me personally probably say yeah Trev's on this I have to be on my own plane of existence because <laughs> once I have a controller or somebody like there it the, the whole thing changes so I mean Haunt has had its its ups and downs my last live band they they two of the guys decided to leave the band and I get it because it's like you're following me you're just like how long do you really want to follow me around you might want to do your own thing so that's that kind of came into play. So like when I, when I was getting my new live band together, I was like, look, like, this is just what it is. You guys are here to back me up. And if that's, if you need more, I mean, like by all means go and you need to do your thing. But like, if you're going to be in haunt, you just kind of have to sit back and just let me be, this is my world of, of which I create in. And this is how I do the creation. Like there, there is no other option because this is what I enjoy doing. So that's that should pretty much take care of that question, I think. And probably, <laughs> and probably um, I really, I mean, it's been such a long journey for me. And I, um, before this, I was a, um, I, I taught 
um, hair at a beauty college here in Fresno called Federico. And I worked as a hairstylist for many years. And, and then um, once my wife got her job teaching, I got to kind of like, like quit doing that. I wanted to quit it for a long time, but she, she finally had, you know, I wasn't footing more than I could take on anymore because now I got help. And uh, so I decided to quit that, but it really made, it gave me the gift of gab. I could talk your fucking ear off because, you know, there's nothing more awkward than a client sitting in your chair that you've never met before and having to sit there with them for three and a half hours. You know, it's like yeah. you, you learn, you could just, I could just go into great depths of, you know, haunt beast maker my my background like i get there's there's a lot to it you know yeah well i i appreciate that i mean hey you're we're happy to have you talk and share all these things i've been like ticking off questions as you were talking because like <laughs> you were kind of answering as you went I'm like that's cool you know because you know yeah. that's great um i know you yeah. play bass drums guitar how many other instruments do you play i play so i also play some mandolin um i'm pretty pretty good ukulele player as well um i also play a little i'm not amazing at it but it's gotten me through i could write i could i could compose music on a keyboard um again not great i would never take it to a live setting but i i can like find what i want to do um real naturally um getting better at it but but you know it's like I'm a jack of all trades, master of none scenario, you know, in yeah. my mind. But I think that kind of works for me. Um, you know, you you um, you kind of get into your groove of things that how you how you your place in the world. You know, I'm 40 years old and I feel pretty comfortable in where what I'm doing. I don't want to like really change it up because it's hard. It's hard to keep the fire burning in music. A lot of people give up or you know like i see so many bands they're around for a couple of years two three years gone you know it happens yeah. constantly or a record labels trying to fuck them or something but they really fuck themselves because their contract probably sucked and they just didn't they just were too eager to you know put it in front of people to really think about the consequences of of that so um you know yeah I'm talking to, uh speaking of uh when you were young i was reading a rolling stone article that they did two or three years ago uh, that, that talked about when you were 10 when your dad took you to your first concert yeah uh, a van yeah. halen show and kind of his reaction to that and yeah. uh yeah maybe talk a little bit about that and how that kind of his reaction I, I, kind I'm, of how I'm, that affected both sure, of you guys i'm not sure if you have the which which van halen show if it was right here right now there's that, that it's a weird thing with Sammy Hagar world for me. It's like, it's, it's like 75% negative, maybe 25% positive because one of the first memories I have of like, after Sammy Hagar, man, we, me and my dad and my mom, we went to go see Van Halen and we're obviously my dad was supposed to have passes and all this shit. Right. Well, we get there and he doesn't and it fucking pissed him off. So we had driven all the way and my dad's going to see his old boss, like his old boss, you know what I mean? It's kind of a weird scenario as is. And now there's not tickets there. And all I just remember is my dad just cursing up a storm on the way, on the way home. That motherfucker doesn't think his shit stinks. You know, he was pissed. I would be too. Yeah. I didn't understand. 
you know, at the time of the heaviness of that, you know, I do now because me and my dad are really, really close. Um, in fact, we just had Martin Popoff ghost write his book that just got finished and Sammy wrote the forward and it took me like five months to get a forward out of him. You know, I'm like, God damn, this guy's <laughs> a tough cookie to even, you know, and like half the book is about this guy. So it's like, we got to have him say something, you know what I mean? So my dad didn't want anything to do with it, but I told him it would be important. There's not enough bass player stories out there, but the, but the, you know, but there are good times. I remember meeting Eddie when I was like 10, it was the Van Halen was recording right here, right now, their live album. They did it here in Fresno at Selwyn Arena. And, um, you know, Sammy and Van Halen have always had a big, like Fresno was good to them. It's sold out always, no matter what, even, even Sammy's like parody shit. Now I call it a parody because I think it's all really mediocre bad music that like he, granted yeah he's 75 and still sings and looks good performs great but his his new music is just not inter it's just not uh, it's not any good in my mind so I've seen it too <laughs> I've seen it live so I'm like on both ends of the spectrum looking at his his fan base and all that but anyway that's beside the point uh, Eddie Van Halen always the nicest dude to me big influence in my life um he came up to me, he's like, your dad says you're playing guitar. He gave me all these picks and stickers and shit. It was a super nice guy. And those guys were really always been pretty kind. But um, yeah, that was that, that definitely was not my first concert, though. Um, I've been going to concerts basically my entire life. If it hasn't been Sammy, it wasn't Sammy Hagar. It was my Uncle Paul's band, Crywolf who I saw a bunch of times, but the first concert my dad took me to that I wanted to go to, and it was fucking awesome. It was here in Fresno. It was Primus, Anthrax, and Public Enemy. And I felt like at that time, that was like early 90s, um, you guys probably remember the Bring the Noise shit. I mean, it was hot. Like, it was like, there was a video on MTV and Anthrax was already a band I was listening to anyway because I love thrash metal. And um, so it was kind of a win-win, but honestly, the you know, after, like, I liked Public Enemy too, because they had Flava Flav and they had a good thing. I had a couple other records, but the band that, like, when I saw Primus, I didn't like Anthrax or Public Enemy anymore. It was over. <laughs> I was like, Primus is amazing. And it was, it was the Sailing the Seas, the Cheese tour. Great album. So, and in my in my in, in in my mind, that's the only Primus record. I don't really listen to Primus, so it was like that album though. I really liked. I didn't really like what they did after that, and I quickly was not interested in Primus anymore. And, and that's just the out of personal opinion is of just my musical taste at the time. What like, but I remember seeing them, and I went and saw them live many times after that too, and always thought that he that was an excellent band because each dude was kind of one in their own like les played bass and had this weird style tim herb alexander killer drumming style and the guitar was just like always in its own planet never really followed too much <laughs> what les did but that was like my first concert that like I wanted to go to that I could I convinced my dad to take me to because you got to mind you I'm really young at that point I have to have adult supervision so 
I couldn't get my dad to go to Slayer. He's like, I ain't taking you that shit. He, it was, it was, I, I was happy enough to be, be like really little and have all this satanic imagery and all this shit. And my parents are kind of like, whatever, just music. So I, but my dad did not want to go see those bands. And my mom let me down many times by not taking him to Metallica. I asked her so many times. My mom was much more strict than my dad, but Metallica never came to Fresno really like they did they do but like and I have seen them here but when I was a little kid it seemed like it just never happened and you know so yeah that's the first show that's the first real that's the first show I wanted to go to I don't know if Rolling Stone got that right but I need to write my own book <laughs> one day to, get, to set the story straight because it's just you, you never know like it, it some of the questions could get mixed up a little bit about what is my you know because really my first show would have been sammy hagar right that's interesting yeah well according to the article he, that was your first show your dad took you there when you were 10 and then during the show he started crying because that, okay. he kind of missed the live yeah. okay performing. so that was that did happen and that was during the right here right now thing and it okay. definitely messed like it really changed my perception of people because like I didn't understand at that time I like I it's it was a weird life I've lived because like a lot of people would think my dad has like this fame and fortune for being you know he's played in some huge bands but we didn't really have any money and my dad didn't even really start getting royalties for Montrose until like digital streaming really started picking up steam and Sammy and um, the the guys decided to get this bounty hunter to go after Warner Brothers, and turns out Warner Brothers was stealing from them for many many years, and had they had some bad deals. And but anyway, that's that's a whole different story. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it was weird, man. My dad, my dad, like broke down into tears, and like I said, there's that other time where Sammy let him down. Sammy's been kind of like a letdown in a lot of areas of where for me personally, as I started to become a musician, I'm like, you know, and, and I'm like a technical music. I like technicality. I try to be good and try to, you know, break some boundaries of where my playing is. And I always thought that all the people Sammy played with bass wise was never even equivalent to the level of skill my dad has. Like these dudes are not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to even Michael Anthony because he's like one of the nicest dudes, but I, like he's not known as like a great bass player. He's like he just laid it down. There's not a lot, and there is also rumors that Eddie played bass on the albums, which could be true. <laughs> Who knows? Never heard that, that could be a controversial thing that I say here that we don't know if which album Michael Anthony's really playing on because when you have fucking Eddie Van Halen writing all this shit and he's the fucking master. Like, it's like, you're going to play over me. I don't know. But anyway, and then he had that chick Mona. She's all right. Um, in the Wabaritas. I just never understood why he didn't bring my dad back in the fold with him, given how good. And I might, I might be biased on this, but I doubt it. If you go back to that old Sammy era stuff with all the stuff that has my dad on it, the bass stands out a lot. Like he is like, there's a presence there that 
you can't really escape. I've never been able to escape my dad's presence. He is a, first off, he's a musical genius. He's a really smart guy and he's super a good dude, best dad ever in the world. So I, I, I put him in high regard, but also being like a technical musician, I'm like, dude, this guy's bass playing, it's, it's incredible. Like it is absolutely thunderous. That's why they nickname him the electric. So his story is really quite sad and, and good all in one. He's got to do it all, but like, it just, you know, when it, when it, when it let him down finally for the last time, he had to go live in a very normal person life, working very normal job. And he chose it. He chose to go a little bit more on the normal path because being a father means meant a little bit. It meant more to him than being just the bass player in a band. And that's what ultimately let him, you know, like he was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And just played with local bands, doing local gigs, making money on the weekends. And that was the, you know, he tried to do it in a few bands after Sammy, but I think as time moved on, he just, you know, he, he kind of needed that powerhouse. Like he needed that Sammy Hagar kind of persona to make him shine is something I realized, you know, like they kind of made each other better. And, you know, without that, I think both of them, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Sammy had a good Van Halen run. But after that, I mean, his music has been shit, man. I don't know <laughs> Like, it sucks. Like, I don't listen to that shit. And if anybody does out there that's listening to my apologies, but, I mean, I think it's fucking garbage. And even to Sammy, sorry, but, you know, he already probably knows I'm not, I'm all about the old school when he was thirsty for it, before he's, like, the liquor guy, Moss Tequila. I don't give a fuck about all that shit. That shit to me is, like, yesterday's news. You know what I mean? I'm like, nah. Take me back to I can't drive 55, motherfucker, or something, you know, something a little bit stronger. But yeah, that shit was, that was a heavy moment watching my dad break down like that. And it made me realize years later that like these dudes are like, I, I, I just, there's just areas of things I don't understand. And I never will, you know, it's like the book. The, the book, it, it'll be out this year, the Electric Church book, you know, by Martin Popoff, um, forward by Sammy Hagar. Um, it gave me a lot of insight into my dad. I mean, like me being a musician, of course, I sat around and I, you know, by the campfire and had many conversations with my dad about music in his life. And I probably know more than anybody about my dad, uh, especially because the kind of relationship I have with my dad. Um, but, um, you know, you don't forget things. And the thing I learned at that point in time was that like, you know, Sammy's trip had changed. My dad's a strong personality. He wouldn't have let, he wouldn't, he, I don't know if he could have played a lot of the stuff Sammy was writing. He'd probably be like, this is terrible. Like, unless he was getting paid a lot of money because, my dad is his taste in, in in music is you know pretty he likes a really he likes a talented pop driven song where there's a hook and there's a, a way to like walk that bass up. He's not gonna play some bullshit. And that's kind of where it went. So, you know, I don't know. That was a tough, that was a tough one. And I didn't really like Van Halen that much during the that era. So it was a little weird. I liked Van Halen as a guitar player. 
But as far as all the songs and stuff, I was way more into punk rock and heavy metal to even really think that. I didn't even think Sammy Hagar was cool. Like the stuff, the early, like, I don't think I, I was an adult by the time I really liked Sammy Hagar and started appreciating it. Because you have to remember, it was always there. All my mom's friends, oh, you're, you know, I love Sammy, blah, blah, blah. Everybody oh. fucking loves Sammy Hagar my whole life. So I kind of was like, I kind of just like pushed this side just out of like, you know, like rebelling against it. Like, I don't like him. Fuck, I can't drive 55. I hate this shit. And it wasn't until I went way back into the 70s that I realized I kind of liked it a little bit more. I always liked Montrose. I thought Montrose was cool. Like there was something about Montrose because it kind of sounded like Led Zeppelin that kind of stuck a little bit more towards me. And then I, in my mind, all I hear is I can't drive 55 with Sammy Hagar. That's all I've seen everywhere, most of my existence. And I loathe that song. Like I like it now, but I used to hate it. And um, I went back and listened to his nine on a 10 scale record, the song Urban Gorilla. And at that point in time, my, my um, thoughts, and especially here, I was listening to a lot of Blue Oyster Cult at this time. So I was really digging into classic rock stuff. And this was before YouTube and all that shit. So I had to like, these are like, I'm finding out about this stuff from my mom's record collection, not my dad's. That she had a lot of Blue Oyster Cult. And I got really into Blue Oyster Cult, which also led me to like, all right, I'm going to listen to some of this old Sammy and see if I like it. And I did. And I started liking it a little bit more. And and uh and it, it grew on me and you know like i remember when i did when when beastmaker was just happening um and lee dorian from rise above records i was talking with him and i just told him because he's like yeah you're gonna have to do some interviews and you got to do some stuff and i was like if you'll do me a favor and like i don't want to even like back then i didn't even want to talk about sammy hagar i didn't want people to know that i had affiliation with Sammy Hagar because I wanted to make it on my own and let everybody know that like everything I've done has been from myself and not a stepping stone from some other dude you know so I didn't really talk about I, like it wasn't until Luminous Eyes Haunt came out that I told Tim from Shadow Kingdom I, I was like I was like, you know, I was like, it might be a good time since I'm kind of like switching band projects up right here. I was like, maybe we should start talking, you know, like I didn't make it like a secret or anything who my dad was, but um, at, it wasn't until then that I feel like a lot more comfortable. I was like, all right, I've already put out this many Beastmaker records. Like it's on Rise Above. Like at this point, you know, we could talk about my Sammy Hagar ties. And so that's when we really, people started really knowing like, oh, your dad's the electric church. I fucking love him. I mean, that's like my whole life. I mean, all my, all, my dad has like, he, there, there's seven kids in his family. He has five brothers. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like all his brother's friends, you know, I still get messages from his friends. Like my uncle's friends on Facebook, dude, your fucking dad, bro. Like, I mean, it's been, I'm just like, yeah, fucking no, motherfucker. Like, I'm his son. <laughs> you think I am 40? Like, I, yeah, I know. I know he's a bad motherfucker, dude. Like, you know, I, I totally get it. And and it was really important. This My dad did one thing this this past year, a couple years, actually. 
that um, made me want to get this book done for him. I set it up and, and I've been doing all this stuff for him. Uh, but he quit drinking. And my dad has always kind of had a, a beer drinking problem. He was never that like drunk asshole, father, abusive, any, none of that. He was just annoying. He was an annoying, like drunk person to be around because he just would argue with the, any, he could argue with you till the fucking cows come home, man. It's just like irritating. He'd have three beers and I generally was like, it's time for me to go. <laughs> like I knew when to leave. That's why our, probably why our relationship stayed good all these years is I was just like, I'm out of here. You're getting too fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, too many beers, but he, it was, it was, he was harmless, always harmless. He never, he, there was never a moment where alcohol actually got really in the way of our relationship other than that. And that wasn't constant. So he, he, he actually, um, he actually quit drinking. And I was like, this is a good time for him to start his book because I just never wanted to get into it with it with his book before because I knew that he'd be sitting there at the computer doing his interview like I am smoking a joint right now, drinking a beer <laughs> and just getting faded and all this, all this nonsense would spew out that I'm just like, no, we need to keep a focus. So the book is really about the band, like how the band's built, how they got together how they did their records and Martin Popoff is already a Montrose expert because he did a Montrose book. It was a very, it's, it's very good book. And I'm really excited to get it out there because a lot of bass players don't ever get to tell their tale unless they're fucking Nikki six. You know what I mean? Like the bass players generally or geezer Butler, or John Paul Jones, you know, like, like in heavy metal, the bass players relatively just fucking speck of dust in the back. You know, it's like, it's very rare do the bass players see the credit that they kind of deserve and my dad technically you know as far as like classic rock goes I mean they're they've been put in the top 20 best classic rock debuts of all time with Montrose countless times so I think it's really I think it's like a time to really showcase my dad's life and plus I have this like you know, revival of heavy metal spirit within myself that I also get to toss out to the world. So it's like, if people want to know haunt. You have to now know, you have to know where I come from. And here's where I come from. The electric church came from his balls, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about haunt. Um, you know, your album art looks like it stepped right out of the early seventies yeah uh, how did that look evolve i mean i think it's awesome i love your album covers yeah it's great and i really like your music uh, um thank you so but you know how did, um, this, how did this look come about so it's it's actually not even 70s it's like so i grew up skateboarding and i had a lot of friends into graffiti and art um growing up because skateboarding and graffiti and in the like late 90s was kind of hand in hand a lot of people were doing graffiti and I had come across, I was going to San Francisco a lot and I kept seeing this Andre the Giant is a, is, is a, has a posse thing everywhere I was going, skate shops. I'm like, what is this? And it started piquing my interest. And then the next thing I know, I see like this Andre the Giant face like plastered on a fucking side of a building. And I'm like, that's killer. I like this shit. And um, one of my friends that was really into graffiti and ended up starting a clothing company. And I kind of followed his path 
of things because he's you know the art the art stuff that I liked was very Andy Warhol um, pop art and anyways the the giant face the Andre the giant face ends up being um, part of this thing that I started seeing everywhere said obey and this was way before it was in Tilly's in these places this is like he's still a street artist you know and uh, so and I, then I started seeing like one-off screen print shirts or decks and a skate shop and I'm like what the fuck is this and I really liked it but anyways that's when I started I learned about Shep Shepherd Ferry and like actually started really liking graphic design art like I said I was already into like Andy Warhol I like the Andy Warhol stuff a lot screen printed Elvis and all that shit it's sick and so I kind of liked that I was like you know because it's kind of an art form that could be really you could you know it could be something reused and just collaged so I like this collage art like this this you know Shepard Ferry was doing the same thing Andy Warhol was doing essentially you know Andy Warhol was using Marilyn Monroe Shepard Ferry was using um Andre the Giant so Beastmaker's first release I actually came up with the cover design it's off of a French um, Dr. Fives poster and it's just Vincent Price's face. And I was like, this represents where I like, I'm a huge Vincent Price man. And I was like, this is like the coolest, this is the most like iconic faces in horror. And here, you know, all these graphic designers before me, they're using an icon as well. So I decided I wanted an icon on my cover art, I knew I'd probably get sued. So it was like, I kept it very minimum. We did like 257 inch records and some cassettes and things. I didn't want to get a cease and desist or, you know, for <laughs> using Vincent Price, that's pretty dangerous. You know, he's so well known, um, but none of that happened. And anyway, that's, so that's how that kind of, you know, also you need, I need a logo beast maker with the blood dripping. Haunt was a little bit more throwback. So um, the designer that did that was out of um, uh, Barcelona Bronca studio. He came up with the logo for me and, and he was the first person to hear, hear the music too. And he was like, I didn't, I wasn't even going to put it out back then. And he was like, this is really great. You need to work on it. Here's, here's the logo. And like, he had the whole thing. He had the whole luminous eyes. He sent me a full thing, even though I was still kind of like on the fence, but I've always liked graphic design. I've always liked that style. So that's kind of what, you know, I always try to find artists that I, I used to like mess around with it myself. I have hundreds of pieces of collage art that I've done myself, but I just never really had the time to really dive into Photoshop in enough to really become great at it. I had the ideas. And I always, if they don't, if my designers don't have an idea, I always throw something at them. I'm like, I already kind of know. I'm like, I'm like, bro, it's so easy to please me. I'm a skateboarder from the 1980s. Pal Peralta was like my love in life. Put a fucking skull on it, call it a day. You know what I mean? It's right, like right. always yeah. been for me. Like you can never, in my mind, and I mean that this is coming from like six-year-old Trevor in 1987. If you put a skull on it, I like it immediately, period. To this day, I'm 40. 
he put a skull there and i'm like yeah, love it done i don't even care give me the same fucking skull that people have been using for a hundred years i'm still gonna be like that but i love it skull you know give, give it to me but anyway um that's kind of how all the art really began that's the styles all based off of those guys really which isn't really heavy metal at all i know shepherd fairy is into heavy metal but um that comes from more of the punk scene a little bit and more of the the um you know the the deviance of new york city from the andy warhol side you know um but i've always liked like i said i grew up around friends that were doing art so it always intrigued me i was never one to really dive into it i liked it but i was too scared to do graffiti because i didn't want to get in trouble I mean, a lot of people will probably go, yeah, you made a right call there. You know what I mean? Because, like, you can get in some serious trouble doing graffiti. I had friends on fucking house arrest during for entire summers because they broke into a train yard. You know, I'm like, sure. that shit wasn't that shit wasn't for me. And, um, you know, but I did always follow stuff and I always enjoyed and appreciated what people were doing and thought it was cool. So I was glad to be able to, like, at one point in time put my music to the art and like I try to always connect it to make it feel like it goes with what exactly what you're looking at that's been kind of the whole thing it's like a it's all inclusive well I like how, how you how you talked about uh Trevor your your logo of your band's throwback and it's exactly what I first you know discovered you guys and I said wow that's pretty cool because it reminded me of uh gosh like uh Angel you know the 70s band yeah. and stuff like yeah. that and I just and I really, I like that classic look of it and stuff. And it's really cool. Yeah, it, it, I, I think the classic logo was like, it's imperative to have everything work. And like the DL, tell you this, it's like, I can't think, I can't praise Cole enough, the guy that does from Bronca Studio, because like that logo has really changed my life. You know, I was doing Beastmaker. I wasn't super happy doing Beastmaker. I got to go into Haunt and like, and hot, I, I've always had a rule of just like be yourself. Like you don't have to write music to like please a certain crowd anymore. So it was like with Haunt, I felt much more liberated just to do whatever I want. It's been the rule from day one. Like if it's poppy, I don't care. If it's thrashy, great. But just do exactly what I am feeling at that point in time and not worry about genres. It's the first thing that first band that I've felt that and haunt, like having that logo that kind of represents, a, I feel like it could represent the 70s, 80s and the 90s and 2000s really. It just transcends. So um, yeah. Yeah, really cool, really, man. Really, really cool. excited to get that piece of art. Yeah, so I noticed there was like a lot of straightforward like 80s metal sounds in Haunt um, with the twin guitar riffs, you know, which I thought yeah. was really cool, but there's, you know, there's other songs that, that are, are, you know, more, more current with that. So um, are there like any uh, current bands out there that you like listening to, or, or are you like old school all the way? Oh, I, I love like new, I like new bands more than I like old bands now. So, and that just is mainly because like the old stuff at this point in time, I've been listening to it for too many years and like, it's always nice to hear a fresh a, a fresh band because you can see it you can see it in its current phase i mean i've i've been like helping a couple bands out of la one of them being this band saber uh and i played drums on their record this last year called without warning and i released it on my label 
And I really like these guys. These guys are the 80s heavy. They're the Sunset Strip heavy metal band. I mean, the, the singer Stevie, he like full spandex, this leather, and just shit everywhere. He looks like Vince Neil, hair up to the fucking ceiling. And um, I, like, they didn't have a drummer. They started hitting me up. He wanted to come, he was a hot band. He wanted to come have me help him with some music. And I did, and then I, they sucked me in. I can't escape them now. But they're a great band. Um, as far as like new bands influencing me, I, I not really. Like there's there's a lot of bands that I listen to that I'm like that I'm really into. But as far as the influential bands, the the, the two in the new wave of traditional heavy metal scene that would have would have had some influence on me would would be the first two that I heard: Enforcer and Cauldron, uh, and Eternal Champion, I guess would be one they came a little later though but um enforcer and cauldron though were the first two where i was like oh this is cool because at the time i was trying to do thrash metal and doom metal and here's like something that's kind of a little bit more um uh a little bit more laid back i guess you could say like i thought cauldron gave it like a a very interesting style of heavy metal music it has I feel like it has a lot of different, it has a new wave of British heavy metal style, which I always kind of really like got driven to is like the death, the early Death Leopard, Angel Witch, you know, those, those two specifically um, and Diamond Head, obviously. And for, I always forget some here and there. I'll probably think of another one in a second. Yeah. Witchfinder General. So those four bands <laughs> like obviously made an impress, but, I feel like vocally, I was always kind of more drawn to like the early Def Leppard. And I was like, I like that in like the Angel Witch style. But I um, um, would say there is so many new bands that one would have to go to the new wave of traditional heavy metal YouTube page and literally sort through like 5 million hours of music that's up there because there is so many new bands. Um, like all you have to do is look at a haunt flyer or a haunt tour poster that's going to be happening and you'll see the bands that you know i'm playing with saber fortress seven sisters screamer traveler um bands like that that are like current and doing stuff also hellfire from the bay area as well um you know um there's a lot of european bands i like Tension, uh, Canada has a bunch of great bands, Spell, uh, Freeways, um, obviously Traveler as well. Traveler is probably my favorite one from Canada, but there's a lot of bands. There's so many. If you just like go diving in, there's there's not a lack there of music. And I I, I enjoy listening to new like new music, like I said, more than old stuff. Now I like going back to old stuff when I haven't listened to it for a long time. But like, it's hard for me to like, you know, I've never understood people that are like just Sabbath worship out or priest worship out or maiden worship out where it's like they listen to it every, you know, especially since there's not a lot of new music that they do. It's to me, like, it's like, all right, listen to an album for a year and then I need a break. You know, and then it's like, come back, you know, and then it's like, and the, you know, you know, it's good if you could, could, if you come back to it and you like it even more. So I always try to be on that level of thinking too, like be into this because like when I do find something I like, 
I will fucking play it way too much, way too much every day. I'll be like obsessed. And then I'll be like, all right, I'm next. Yeah, you've had enough. After Not a while. Had enough, yeah. just, just like At a I time, you hit, hit like a time. wall, like, okay, I'm full. It's absorbed. It's absorbed. <clears throat> I'm going to move yeah. on to the next thing. And then I'll come back years later and go, man, I fucking love this record. Holy shit. And there's some that just keep, keep me coming back time and time and again. And a lot of it is because I love driving. I always drive on tour. I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to driving because I know I'm the most sober person there because I don't drink. <laughs> so um, I love listening to music and driving. So there's like those certain albums that I just put on because it gets me in the driving mode. There's a fucking vibe for every vibe that you're in. Cool. Well, um, let's let's talk a little bit more about Beastmaker, um, which I, I really like that band as well. You know, that, that doomier sound. It reminds me also a little bit of Helmet. You know, it's kind of got that got that Helmet groove, which is really cool. Yeah. It's groove metal, stoner metal yeah. a little bit, you know. So oh, yeah. um, what other doom metal bands or have you listened to or do you listen to? And 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 can you talk a little bit about, you know, how how Beastmaker came about? So Beastmaker came out about because uh, I was trying to do thrash metal and this was early 2000s and we had recorded some stuff and we were trying to get it moving into Fresno here and people just weren't really into thrash metal here. But there was this uh, band from Visalia that had got signed called Slow Season and they were doing like Led Zeppelin style stuff. And I had been playing in a bar band and people, again, were once again coming up to me and being like, man, you sound like Ozzy when you do NIB. I was still playing NIB, you know, all these years later, um, playing it in a bar band. I was like, you know what, like maybe I should try it. I was like, it'd be fun to do like a Black Sabbath tribute. I was talking to my drummer, Andy Soldati, about it. And we were going to try to do some like Sabbath stuff. And we sucked hella bad at it it was like awful i remember the first day we tried to play into the void and it was like a fucking train wreck <laughs> and at that point i was like maybe it'd be easier if we just like wrote our own shit that's like this and it just so happens that like somehow like that 90s groove metal like you said like stoner metal kind of just evolved into it naturally because of bands like alice and chains and things like that that kind of had that slower they had some slower heavy songs and it just so happens that like we were just doing one we had this thing we were calling it just bonehead like we just called we we're calling it bonehead metal not doom metal because it was like so easy it's like a fucking neanderthal could play it you know what i mean like and that was that was the approach of like just less is more but and that's why it got old too at the same time but that's how that came about we started playing and since now there's a band that's nearby that we can play with that does something like you know more 70s style i was like okay this could work and we played we did a tour with them played some shows with them but we started getting recognition immediately when my friend anthony trujillo um who's a big horror movie doom like this heavy metal guy he knows every movie he's a movie buff and really helped me craft a lot of the beastmaker stuff actually because He'd be like, you ever see this one? Yours? And like with every movie came a song. You know, I was like, that was the format back then. It was like Beastmaker is a movie band. Like cool. that's, if you go look through the titles of my songs, 
you're going to find some of our movie titles. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why yeah. I like about it. And that's why I thought you would be a good fit with us because of your love, you know, for horror. And that's that's something we're, I want to talk about, you know, a little bit down the road. But um, it I, kind uh, of intertwines with where I'm going. So, yeah, I mean, no, I think it's great. That's why I like so, that. I like the intersection. So, it's like it's like reminds me of the Misfits a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Misfits, I have, I mean, I have a big ass Misfits tattoo right yeah, here. Yeah, there you go. And there's the skull. I mean, right? I have, I have another Misfits tattoo right here, the bat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And then of course nice. I got Danzig here. Right. And I mean, like that dude, it was another dude that, you know, changed my life musically as well. He was my favorite for many, many years, many years, always. Glenn and Danzig. also kind of like the DIY, I don't give a fuck thing. Cause I mean, he kind of always was kind of garage too, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I was always, and I always liked his career because I felt like he was kind of like, you know, um, he was, he was well known, but like his shit was like, he did shit. He was punk rock. Like you'd go into a recording mm -hmm. studio there, plus record and they were done. Right. You know, sloppy as fuck. Like sometimes when I listen to the Misfits, I, I can find like 190 errors within <laughs> one minute you know yeah. it's like mm -hmm. but it just gives you it's it's just the vibe of it and i always tell myself you know like that's why like things are overproduced i i don't really tend to go back to too much and it's kind of hard because with what i do it's like it's really hard to make error because like it kind of has to be really a, a almost perfection because i'm playing one thing and then i'm going back to do the other so like i don't like there's the sloppy feel there is no feel for it i'm like oh there's a fucking huge mistake you know what i mean how do i get play to it you know you have to learn to play to your errors but anyway um i just always was like this lo-fi i like this this is like they just went in and played and you know it, it's it sits with me more than almost everything that has come out in, in years i could listen to danzig one two and three for all of eternity and especially he has a great horror i mean misfits are a great horror band like mm -hmm. i always felt like Beastmaker was the the doom metal answer of what the misfits would have been except for i, I couldn't get dressed up in corpse paint maybe looking back now maybe that's what i should have done is mm -hmm. throw in a little bit of the uh, dead kennedys a little bit of the cramps you know i just, just throw corpse paint on my yeah. face and i or a of just a fucking hood over my head and we we could have been something but instead i let, <laughs> went out there looking normal which probably didn't help in the horror setting but um yeah but the, another big one for me was uh the first time I, I when i started getting into mario baba um i always at, at that point i thought i found barbara Steele to be an incredibly intriguing woman and it was almost like she was the vincent price but a woman to me and i was like this this actress is phenomenal like mm -hmm. her her acting in black sunday mask yeah. is the devil whatever you want to right. call it is just if the it was the, it, like i had the song we wrote a song called mask of satan i played that whole mm -hmm. intro line the whole intro line where, where they're about to nail that fucking mask to her face yeah you know like and, and that was what we came and we also came out to the tombs of the blind like the intro for beastmaker live was the intro for tombs of the blind dead which is another movie that became a huge thing i actually still i always keep this here because this little 
figurine that I have of Tombs oh, of the yeah. Blind Dead. Nice. Oh, cool. I've always yeah. kept, and this is like one of like 30. I always have kept it on my speaker because this thing helped me write a lot of music. Great. Yeah. Do you like that one of the of the trilogy? Is that your favorite one? Oh, the, yeah. The, the Blind Dead trilogy? The first one is the only one that's actually really good. The other ones are pretty, like, bad. But the first one is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they released them uh, in a in a box set. The box is, looks like a coffin. I'm not sure if you've yeah, seen that. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I, yeah. You know, I've seen it all, like, as far as all that stuff. I had a huge uh, movie poster collection years ago. I actually had to... When I started realizing I was going to do a recording studio and wanted to like evolve that, I sold off a lot of my posters to buy a lot of the gear because I had easily about five or six thousand dollars worth of like vintage horror movie posters. Oh, man. But wow. but the thing is, but but the thing is, somebody else got it that's going to appreciate it more than me at that time because I was like, I need money. I was like, <laughs> when I looked at some of the shit I wanted to buy, I was like, fuck this thing's five grand for one piece of equipment you know it's like where am i gonna get this i play underground heavy metal you know what i mean it's like <laughs> right. not like fucking sony's knocking down my door to have me go on tour with justin bieber you know yeah <laughs> what's uh what's your favorite horror movie of all time of all time i mean i can't really it's hard for me to be an all-time person because of this my my mind changes all the time like i said even how i listen to music i, I play it out and then I move on and then I'll come back. So I think, you know, like as far as um, the horror goes, the best hands down is Black Sunday. I don't think okay. there is better horror film than that. Yeah, That is the best. And if you're going to ask me like last year, I would have said the last man on earth, Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. The best version of I Am Legend of of anything. Yeah. Absolutely. He's just, his persona is just always on point. And it's like old too. So it's like, it has a really cool feel to it where new movies, like, I'm not, I don't really like new horror at all. I don't follow anything at all. I do follow true crime though, which is very horrific in, in stuff. So, um, but I always, you know, horror always kind of always piqued my mind just because of the, you know, the, the, the psycho that's behind it or whatever. You're just like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the first time you realize like the Norman Bates, like the first, you can't, you can't forget like the first time you've seen Psycho. Right. You're like, holy shit, dude has his dead mom. Like that's the dead mom. <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, you're like what you know you never saw that you know it's like i always think back you have to go back to when it was the first time you saw that and that like what you were thinking at that time because as time goes on and you see movie after movie you start to get desensitized to Mm -hmm. those things Mm -hmm. it's like yeah 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 whatever and that's that's why like the older movies the mario baba and the you know amando asori and you know um all the hammer movies and mm-hmm. stuff that are great christopher it's, lee peter cushing you can't get any better yeah, than that man all those guys we already know all their fucking names they're all fantastic but it's it's more or less it's just like that era had a, a better story and it had to be more imaginative because you didn't have cgi and green screen to mm-hmm. like create everything later you right. had to kind of you had to make it happen 
And that's what I think is kind of a little bit, it's, there's, a, there's definitely like a material art aspect of it that is great where we don't have that anymore. You know, it's yeah. like- They're great at creating an atmosphere. You know, with those yeah, you had to actually yeah. like you had to make like Tombs of the Blind Dead. He had to make the Blind Dead, like right. That shit, and and on like this the biggest shoestring budget of all time, right? And it literally is just like it's just Knight Templar dudes that are basically zombies. It's like it's nothing that crazy, but I think it's the overall look of the Templar and this like you know that was kind of unique. So he was like the first to do the Templar. You know, it's like all right. That looks real wicked, like dead, you know, but like some of the Black Sunday, I think the mask is like forever the most cool thing ever, you know, and mm-hmm. the dudes at the beginning, they're all big with their big sledgehammers and they fucking, you know, it's like, she's, it, it's just so, that's just like a whole different realm. And there's, there's so many great movies from that era. I don't really watch as much horror right now because i got my kid and plus like i said i'm like true crime has kind of been my um latest um appreciation of things because it's it's a little bit different it's like the reality because i mean we are riddled with reality tv stuff right now and i find that this kind of reality tv i always am fascinated with the detectives because i'm like how do you get these motherfuckers like how you know like back in the day like it's crazy how they captured these fucking psychopaths and they were true evil like like mm-hmm. court you know like it's a good story and that's everything that you know uh, trying to get to spark your imaginative mind into something a different world but i think that that in true crime and serial killers and things like that kind of blend into one it's like it's like the same thing but now it's real like I just watched something about the Green River Killer. Oh my dude, yeah. that guy Gary Bitchway. What up? I mean, fucking insane. Like the shit people, you know, do. Like I'm like, man. And they didn't have like DNA. Like it's crazy that they caught him, and because there was no DNA at the time, they let him go. They had to let him go, and they didn't catch him for 17 years until DNA came. And they had his spit and they were the, the one of the lead investigators who became like chief of police was like, hey, it's, I'm, let's test this shit. We need to catch this guy. Boom. He knew who it was from fucking the second they, I mean, it's crazy. But like, it's interesting to see those things. And it's very like, I think a lot of horror movies are obviously based off that kind of premise as well. Sure. Something that happened in real life. Yeah, it moved from the monsters without to the monsters within. You know, Psycho was really one of those first movies that kind of, kind of showed that, you know, horror of the personality. And then yeah. once the '70s kicked in, late '60s, then you also had that kind of supernatural element. You know, with Rosemary's Baby and and those kinds of movies. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's there's a lot of good horror coming out of out of Europe and Asia. And um, yeah, you you would always that's probably the places that do like I, I would expect it to be, you know, like you, the USA I, I is not that they're not we're not our minds aren't is like no, the, the Hollywood mind now is way different. Right. It's it's how much money can we make? We got to 
makes we can't take a risk on on making some movie that doesn't make any money you gotta have um, that pixar hit bro you gotta right have right pixar. well i'm gonna recommend something to you um on netflix have you seen midnight mass no okay i'm gonna that's recommend that to you yeah that's like a modern right. horror i think you're really gonna like it really good mm-hmm. as long as long as it's filmed old yeah. school like halloween it's uh i like yeah. that kind of filming where it's like your fault you're you are the killer okay you know what i mean well it's not a, it's it's a, it's a more of a uh it's not a not a horror thing like that it's it's a uh suspense supernatural horror that kind of builds ah, it's got its own momentum okay. it's like a really slow cool. burn but it it's it's a mini series like six or eight episodes mm-hmm. totally engrossing yeah i think you'll like it i'll check it out yeah cool um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh your band camp you know, you release okay. and releasing your music on Bandcamp, which is a, a great yeah. platform for artists to maintain control of their music and in terms of how much they charge, you know, marketing, pretty much everything. So what influenced your decision to release through Bandcamp and how has that experience been for you? I would probably say like I'm one of the one of the the like first people in heavy metal to really start using Bandcamp. If you really look back at how things started with me, because back then, like like I remember talking to a couple of people about Bandcamp and they're like, what the fuck is that? And then, or if you asked that, you told the label like, Hey, we should put it on Bandcamp because it's this like new platform. Like, no, you can't put it there. It'll mess with our Spotify and all that. And um, anyway, um, I had really got my start because of Beastmaker on Bandcamp. And it was the first time I ever got paid for my music ever so like I put up that EP and I just noticed real quickly, like all these people were buying it. That's when I knew I had stumbled upon something. I'm like, well, this can't be that shitty. I made like $500 today, you know, like, cool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for most music musicians nowadays, that's like your pay for the year. I mean, it's right. Cause you're not going to get shit on streaming, you know, Spotify yeah, is going to well, pay you a hundredth of a penny or something. You know, nah, shit I mean, like that. It all, it all adds up in the end. It's, it's just the way it is. But when I, I didn't really like being, I, I got signed to the label. I mean, all, if you, if you would have put Beastmaker in a time capsule or put me in a time capsule right now, you go back to 2013, 2014, like my goal was to be on Rise Above Records. And somehow I obtained that but very easily. I didn't even send them a message. It came to me. So it was a uh, big ordeal. And then after trying to do Beastmaker for a couple of years, touring around the world with Beastmaker, I really was like not happy because like every time I'd, I'd be like, dude, I want to do another album. Like I'm, I just need to write some new songs. I don't like these ones, you know, and that's just kind of how I am naturally. It's just, I love just to sit and play and write and create. And um they're like, hey, wait a year or two. And I was like, a year or two, I'll write a hundred songs. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, I want to put out all of my music. Yeah. I want to have to fucking like, I could understand a year wait, but like a two year wait, like I wasn't really even feeling, I was barely feeling a one year wait. And I had this like idea when, you know, like once I realized like, I, I'm, I can't put out Beastmaker music. I, I just, you know, like, it wasn't in my contract. I couldn't just put stuff out. I owed him another record. And so I was trying to get that rolling. And at the same time, I was just like, 
this, this, I was like, man, I don't know if like, I need to do something else. And that's when I wrote Luminous Hot Eyes. And I just decided I'm going to put this out digitally, see if it catches any waves. And, and uh, you know, it's basically going to be like Beastmaker part two again, because like I put an EP up like I did with Beastmaker and that's how Beastmaker got rolling. Well, lo, lo and behold, did I not know that the popularity of Luminous Eyes within the first two weeks would have me decide that I'm not going to do Beastmaker anymore live. Like, I was just like, it's gone. You know, it was just like, just one day, just just a wall went up. I was like, people lo are loving this. Like, people liked Beastmaker, but I don't know if people, like, loved Beastmaker. Like, people love Haunt. Like, it's a different, It's there's a big differentiate differential when it comes to the two and i was just like i liked it more too so i was just feeling the same thing that everybody else was i put that shit out on Bandcamp, and i at that moment in time i knew i was like you know what i've been on a record label i didn't make any money doing it really like they pay they give you some money up front to help you get through some shit but like ultimately i was like I didn't see a career in it. I saw like, yeah, you just make records and like they pay for that. And then you don't really make anything because you owe them so much money at the end of it. <laughs> like you like, you're just, if you're not a big band, you're not paying back that big recoupable. Um, so I was like, I need a career in music. I don't want to fucking work. I don't want to have a normal job. I'm sick of what I'm doing. I hated what I was doing. And you have to make a living. So um, when I realized real quickly, like, okay, I could write fucking two or three albums a year. I could just put it out. I started thinking, I was like, just put shit out. Like, who gives a fuck? You know, when you feel done with it, just put it out in the world. Lo-fi and all, like garage metal, like I was saying earlier, just get it out. Hot off the press. I just wrote it. If you want, want to know how I'm feeling, this is how I'm actually really feeling. You're not hearing my feelings a year from now. Cause like I said earlier, like a year later, I don't even like that album anymore. I already written three more. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you create and you kind of let your babies go and you're, you're moving on to the next project. And I'm older. I'm a lot older than a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people don't, don't believe that I'm a 40 year old man with a son. And I'm just like, yes, I am. Uh, and you know, a lot of it is just making up for lost time. I'm like, man, I don't want to have like I, this, just in the condition I could tell you, just this last week, I went and played a show. I jumped off the speaker, threw out my back, and then I was bedridden for two days. I was like, oh man, I was like, I could probably do this for 10 more years before my body is just like, bro, no, <laughs> you know, and, and like I think about that, I'm like, how long do I really want to go, you know, like. I'll always play, I'll always write, and I'll always do my thing. But as far as, you know, really pushing it to the world, I'm, I only have so many years. And you only have so many years anyway because of the industry of how things are. So, you know, you, we, I, I feel like we've almost already kind of passed some of that honeymoon phase big time. It's because we've been out for, been around for around a little bit over four years now. So, the honeymooning, the honeymoon phase of haunt is kind of over. And it's like, now it's like the next chapter, you know, it's like, now could we become a, an established band that is like, you know, like I'll be able to continually do something consistent to what I've been doing for the next four years. You know what I mean? And then at that 
point, if you can make it 10 years, you kind of just become a legacy because a lot of bands don't last that long. Yeah. But, but Bandcamp has just given me a lot of control over of not having to have a job, like shipping all the stuff out has become my job. I started manufacturing all my own vinyl, CDs, tapes. So I knew what everybody was doing. Like my big thing was like, I just didn't want to have to rely on anybody to do these things for me. And even, even though, you know, down the line, you know, you'll have people, you know, telling you what you should do in your ear. At the end of the day, you kind of got to go your own way because, you know, that's the only way to really obtain the true happiness of what you're doing. I mean, like at this point, I don't have these, uh, goals of like super fame or any any of that really it's more I want to be able to keep writing music until I feel like I don't have anything else to write anymore mm-hmm. so like till haunt is bled dry until I've until I go there is no reason for you to write another one another fucking song like just stop and this is the end and then you have your whole catalog you could go and play your fucking festival of burst into flame the whole record you know and it's <laughs> you know you go down that road and that's you know that's kind of the road I'm at at this point if I could just you know band camp has allowed me to make enough money to sit in my garage smoke weed all day and write <laughs> shitty lo-fi metal song. I mean that's, that sounds a dream yeah exactly I mean, it sounds for, pretty good for, um, some, for some they Oh, there you are. I got a whole nother view here. Nice. Uh, sorry, I mean my I, I, my phone was dying. So oh, it's cool. Thanks. <laughs> sorry, I, yeah. I was like, good. oh, good. At least I was like already in here. This was already turned on. So nice. oh, this, this works out. This is great. Um, this, well, yeah. You know, I, I, the now you guys I, are big. You guys were like tiny on my phone before. Now <laughs> we're huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, you know about <laughs> marijuana as part of your creative process um i and oh, yeah. i enjoy uh, a little a little leaf once in a while myself you got a nice um, huge jar right here oh shit oh wow oh, oh, nice yeah, i'm gonna give you my address if you want to you know, send some my way um yeah um so you know, how does how much is marijuana part of your creative process i would say that the best thing about marijuana is to kind of frees you from whatever is else is going on and you can really zone in onto where where what you're doing and it's always it's always helped me <laughs> my little boy is knocking on the door <laughs> that's cool that perfect t- perfect timing as we're talking about marijuana he's like Papa. <laughs> yeah um, of course and uh anyway it helps you kind of just find you know some freedom in your mind to be able to just really play you're not thinking about anything else so when i'm smoking weed and playing guitar i could just really get in the zone and stay focused on what my my objective is and that's to come up with a riff mm-hmm. and i find that like it definitely helps because it also you know like it kind of clears my mind of outside influence as well because i could really hone into what my own personal vibe is and and tap into that yeah but i don't need it i don't need it to write because like i honestly i like most of my songs are written in the morning on an acoustic guitar in my living room with a cup of coffee 
Okay. But okay. when I but when it comes time to get down and come in here and actually create as a song, yeah, I definitely need a little weed smoke, especially with lyrics, because lyrics I gotta be in a totally like you know, real real focused state of consciousness. So, so you 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 smoke more sativa than indica, or do you smoke a blend or I honestly, I've never, I'm, I'm fucking old school. I'm like my coffee. If it's black, I'll drink it. <laughs> okay. So if it's green, I basically, I smoke it. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> nice. I am yeah. Not, Keep it simple. I, yeah. I am a, I am a simple man uh, when it comes to my happinesses of things that yeah. bring me true happiness. I'm like, yeah, indica sativa. I'm not that guy. I'm all. I'm. I don't identify with materialistic items. So like, I can't do like identity politics. None of that. I'm like, I don't identify with any of that. Like, yeah. so with indica sativa, like, I feel like if you smoked one, you have to smoke the other. Even sure. Like, how could you only smoke one? And who cares? It's it all usually a hybrid anyway. You know, it depends on the terpenes and all those things. I but, mean, it's just it's yeah. just another it's just marketing jargon to me. Yeah, I'm like it. in 1980, you would have been stoked to get some of this weed. You're smoking right. Mexican brick weed that was like compressed <laughs> and probably had a rat corpse in it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, well, we were um, we were talking with Eric Wagner uh, back in July this year yeah. from you know and uh which was great he, he was awesome Rest in my, peace yeah Rest man yeah peace, one man. of my heroes yeah. and he we had made plans to uh because the skull was going to come and play it near cleveland because that's where we're from the cleveland area yeah so um we're wondering are you have any tour plans and if you're coming to cleveland would you mind if we like swung by we could all get high together absolutely <laughs> nice. no doubt you bring the weed though yeah, no problem. Okay. Yeah, are you? Do you like edibles? No. Okay. I don't like being passed out. Yeah, edibles, edibles. stick with you a long fucking time. Man. Edibles fuck you up. Yes, dude. yes, they certainly. Like, can. You're higher, like that's why I like smoking it because it it stays the same. I don't have any surprise. Yeah. Like with an edible, I could get a surprise one day. I like eat like a little bit too much, and I'm on the, I'm done. I have to like lay down. I'm like I'm too high to do anything. Yeah, and, then, and it stays falls. with you. You know, smoking a you know hour, couple hours, you're cool. Man, yeah. I, there was oh god, a couple of fucking times I I I'd eat edibles, and I'm like nine fucking hours. I'm high. I'm like that's just too fucking long, man. <laughs> You know, that's, yeah, that's a heavy day. That's, yeah, that's, that's a commitment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't intend to be that committed, but I fucking felt like it. You're like, I am committed today to do nothing. Yeah, nothing. It's, it was like that's what it, that's what happened. You know, um, well, do you think when when all this shits uh, better and and you know life will go on? I know you you uh, we'll be out that way this summer. We're doing a tour and we're touring no matter what the conditions of things because okay. like. I'm a believer that if you're vaccinated, I've had COVID too, mm -hmm. and you get your booster and you just kind of maintain some good guidelines within yourself, of, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> of uh, just making, you know, I, I don't see why there's any reason to not sure. play shows because if everybody there is vaccinated, your likeliness of really spreading mm -hmm. it a lot lowers. I know, that, I know that it happens, but I'm like, look at the fucking Super Bowl, like all these things that are right. coming up. There's like sixty thousand people, and like they're not checking their shit on all that. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so why we gotta like be all? It, it's weird out there, and I know that people 
have their own, there's like a political agenda to a, all kinds of, I mean, you could just cross off everything on the wall of like what craziness this shit has brought. Sure. What yeah. I, what I believe though, is that like vaccines are a vaccine, you know, you're, you can get, you still can get it. You might not. Who fucking yeah. Knows. It's going to mitigate. But, it's going to mitigate the symptoms. Hopefully, you know, that's, that's what, yeah, that's, what that's for, the thing is exactly you know? right. So you're, you're not going to, you're, you're going to get sick, but you ain't dying. So exactly. therefore it could, we could go back to how it used to be. Cause if you went to a show, you already had the possibility of getting sick period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Might before the pandemic, you know, sure. I and mean, I've been, I've gotten sick. At, I, I mean, I'm a prime example. Like, like you go out on the tour, you end up getting sick. You're touching dirty ass microphones and sure. all that you know you're putting yourself in that state and it's and you know we we everybody in my band anyway since we've all taken our you know due diligence about this whole thing and taking it seriously took the time off mm-hmm. and it's time to get back out there it just Good. is it's like you know you can't let the pandemic pandemic like run the show as far as things as life yeah we're a lot you we're can't lot better get these off. years back you can't get these yeah. years back you're already like no. i've been sitting around for two years I've been been around it enough. We played some shows. Like nothing's really going to happen. I've had COVID, whatever. You get sick, you stay home. And that's just the reality of it. So it's right. like, just take it out. Like the first tour is going to be real short. It's only like 18 days. Um, and then we're going to follow it up in the summer with a full U.S. tour. And hopefully, you know, by summer, we'll have a little bit, you know, we'll have more information sure. anyways. You okay. Know, so there, there'll be definite like scientific findings and and things. I believe by that time, Do I don't think f- it's going anywhere. I don't think it's ever going anywhere. It's going to be yeah. part of our normal life, like it's the part flu of life. is. It's, yeah. it's just yeah. Now it's, you, it's here. Now you don't go. Oh, I don't want to get the flu. Now you go. I don't want to get the flu, or and I don't want to get COVID. So mm. you just have a new spectrum that we're a new thing that we're bringing into our daily lives and um yeah i don't want to get too into that because like it's too it's too touchy of a subject for a lot of people oh no no we, I'm, we, one of, I totally I'm one of those it. i'm one of those gray area people to where it's just like you know when i had to take it seriously i did and then once there comes a vaccine and these things like that and then after also getting it i'm like okay like i'm done being indoors right. we're farther ahead than we were two years ago we're a lot this. better it's now in, yeah i need to get to back to some like some simple enjoyments in life live music being probably the number one yeah well I, I hope you get to make it out to the cleveland area you know on the yes. on the big summer tour um yes. yeah because i mean if you do i mean we'll be following up certainly but and and we'll talk after the show but um yeah we definitely want to want to keep in touch you know because we, we i'd like to come out and, and support you you know we'd love to come see i appreciate you. that man yeah that, that'd be great so well, if, we'll, we, if we are we are we good he got enough content because i actually got to get rolling my my boy was knocking on the window and that's usually <laughs> oh, a sign of like get your ass inside yeah yeah <laughs> so, not a problem before we go would it be too much to ask you to do a little bumper for us like, oh, absolutely what do you need just like you know, hey trevor william church of haunt and be, you know you're you're watching and listening to heavy metal horror or something like that Yep, yep. You ready? Okay, I'm so ready. ready to go. All right. Hey, man, this is Trevor William Church of Haunt and Beast Maker, and you're watching Heavy Metal Horror. Thank you.
Thank you. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. yeah thanks. Hey, you could find so. heavy metal horror on unsaneradio.com. Listen to full episodes or download to your device. You can find us at Facebook, heavy metal horror podcast on Instagram. Look for Montag Lewis. One word, our YouTube page. You are on it. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you know someone who'd like our show, tell them about us. Trevor, thank you so much for swinging by thank heavy metal guys. horror, man. It has been Appreciate a blast you. getting to know you. Yeah, and uh, likewise, please, keep in touch. So, I want you All to right. join us for our outro. Bring your horns up. This has been Montag, Master of Illusion, Chop Top, Dread Bowl. You've been watching and listening to Heavy, Heavy Metal, Metal Horror. This is Doug Helvering, and you have been listening to Heavy Metal Horror, the best podcast that you've never heard before.